So today we are continuing in the Gospel of Mark. For you guys that have been here through the long haul, you know that. We've been going back to the beginning, looking right at the Gospel and the earliest Gospel, the Gospel of Mark. And so today you've heard the Scripture already. Thank you, Ellen, for that. And we're looking at Mark 5, verses 21 to 43. And uh, I did this again yesterday. I don't know if you guys ever go through this. Two for one deals. And, uh, you know, if, if you buy the one, you pay more for it. But if you pick up two, right, you get a special price. Well, they got me again yesterday at Superstore, the two-for-one deal. I remember picking up, well, I really don't need it, but I'll pick it up because it's a better price. Well, it means there's a lot more groceries to put away and eat through. <laughs> but why do I bring this up today, two-for-one? When we look at this story today, often I have preached where I've taken one of these stories, but the truth of it is we call this a Markin sandwich, that he purposely has sandwiched this story in between the greater story, and he's wanting us to see two for one. He's wanting us to realize there is a mega lesson that he's trying to teach us today. And the mega lesson he's trying to teach us today is about faith. What is biblical faith? I like what Billy Graham said. Now, this is not his quote up there. This is another quote. But Billy Graham said it this way. First, you must believe that God exists and that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to save you. That's the first thing you need to believe. And secondly, Billy Graham says, you must trust wholly in Christ's salvation, put your life into his hands, and believe Jesus not only can save you, but will save you. That's biblical faith. And so biblical faith is a complete trust in God. It is a complete trust in God, and not just for a moment at an altar, a complete trust in God for your whole life, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, for your whole life. Life. That's the Lord's desire, isn't it? See, it's not just some leap in the dark. It's not just some wishful thinking that maybe somebody's there that might do something for me. It's actually putting our faith in a trustworthy God. It is putting our faith in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a personal question today. It's very personal because it's all of us, and this is what Mark's desire is in the gospel. Where are you today in your faith journey? Where are you? We're not necessarily all in the same place. And so we want to see today this mega lesson from the gospel of Mark to help us in our faith journey. And so there are three aspects today of faith that we can see in this passage. The first one is circumstances summon faith. Do you know, the truth is, for a lot of us, it was a circumstance that started our journey in faith. It was a circumstance that brought us to the Lord. And we see that life isn't easy. Like when you graduate and you're starting off, it looks fantastic, and we want it to stay fantastic for you, but I want to be one of the greatest life lessons I had to learn as the idealist in our family was that life isn't fair. Life doesn't always give you everything you think you deserve. Life can throw you some curveballs. Life can be tough. That is the reality that we see that circumstances in life 
can summon our faith, and even bad things can happen to good people. That is a reality check. Oh, it got very quiet all of a sudden. We open here today with the story of Jairus. Jairus is this one who is the ruler of the synagogue. Remember, we were on the other side of the lake, and we've now come across the lake, back to the lake, and right there is the ruler of the synagogue. His name is Jairus. He's a community leader. Everyone knew him and respected him, and he's also one who is very well off. I think Jairus is the kind of person who prided himself that he could do things on his own. He didn't need anyone. He was very much self-sufficient. And then it happened. Not when he expected it. His daughter got sick. And his daughter, who was 12, did not only get sick, but she kept getting worse. And she's getting so worse now to the point that she is near death. A father's worst fear to think about his little girl is going to die. And so in the midst of that, Jairus looks through the window and sees Jesus coming, and he hears the crowd, and so he decides to run to Jesus for help. He fell at his feet, verse 23 says, my little daughter is dying. Can you hear the urgency in his voice? My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, Jesus, so she will be healed and lived. Jesus, she needs you. She needs you right now. Come quickly. Do you know in that moment, we don't see his dignity. We don't see his money. We don't see his position. And even his pride is forgotten. He's desperate. Then we see all of a sudden this other story that Mark puts in the middle. This poor suffering woman. She's been suffering for 12 years with a constant flow of blood, we are told in God's word. And see, her problem is compounded by the fact, by Jewish law, she would have been looked upon as a senior, a sinner, not a senior, a sinner, Well, we don't know for sure. And she's ceremonially unclean, as Leviticus 15 tells us. She's shunned by the community. She couldn't go about society in freedom and mingle in the marketplace with other women. She couldn't attend worship, the synagogue, or ceremonial occasions. We talked about the weddings that are coming up. Well, she would never be allowed to attend a wedding, nor a funeral. She's not meant to touch anyone, not her husband, not her children, not her friends. She couldn't do any housework. She wasn't even allowed to cook a family meal. We complain about an eight-day or 14-day isolation. <laughs> She went through it for 12 long years. And basically, Mark is telling us it was as being as good as dead, even though she's still living. And so here she resorts to secrecy. She comes incognito. <laughs> she, I, I've been sharing this with our seniors in the different seniors' homes. She's the one with pushy faith. Her condition carefully concealed, concealed, but she comes with determination that she is going to come and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. By this time, she's destitute. She is broke. We're told that she spent all her money on medicine and doctors to no avail, and she's at the end of her rope. 
See, both cases here, the circumstances are very dire. They're beyond their control. Both reached a breaking point. And unfortunately, some of us in our testimony, that's how we came to faith. We had to come to a place where our circumstances were dire, that we actually began to trust and believe that God could help us. And so she comes towards Jesus, and Jairus comes towards Jesus for help. See, sometimes biblical faith starts with just seeing Jesus as the one who can supply what we need. But it is about letting go of our pride, our self-sufficiency. It's about admitting that we need Jesus. That's where it starts. I need Jesus. We have to admit, I don't have what it takes. I can't fix my children's problems and make them right. I need help. Pastor Mike and I went through some real struggles in our faith journey. Remember I said to us, where are you in your faith journey? And we had stepped out to church plant. We had all these visions about what God was calling us to do, as many young pastors do. You know, we have visions and dreams, and we knew that we were obedient to what God had asked us to do. And, and uh, I've shared this before, but we were f- struggling financially as we stepped out in faith to plant this church in Mississauga. And uh, we, we were looking, you know, he had this degree from Manchester, and he's looking for work, and he went to one job after another job, tent making, planting the church, but having to provide for his family. And you know the statement they all say, well, you're overqualified for this job. And he was saying, well, I'll do it. I'll do any job. This is what I need to do. I'll do whatever job I need to do. Oh, you're overqualified for this job. I remember, I remember us going through a time where I think you got through three different interviews, and then finally they had actually hired somebody else because they had planned to do that all along. Anyway, they were hiring in-house, but they put us through that hope. And uh, I was working the farmer's market selling strawberries. That was what I was doing. And taking the leftover food to feed my family. I've been there. We've been there. And Pastor Mike finally got a job to work in a warehouse for Evenflow after we had prayed, making baby supplies. (laughs) We talked about that. He kept saying, don't you think we should have another one? We could get the crib for free and all this stuff for free. It's like, no. (laughs) But him and I spoke at that time about how God was doing a deeper work in our lives and in his life. And and I made the statement, and we've made that statement several times, and I believe, and it's not just about men, but I think in particularly, God can't use a man until he breaks a man. That's a hard statement. God can't use a man until he breaks a man. Why do I say that? Men in their God-given DNA is to protect their families and provide for their families. Right? That's what you're called to do. And you do it well, by the way. And we're so thankful and appreciative for you and what you do for your families. And I mean, we see men work hard here in West Prince. But sometimes innate in men is this idea that if there's an issue or a problem, I can just fix it. And sometimes God wants you to get to a place where you realize that circumstances are the way they are because you just need to give it over to God and you cannot fix it. And that's when God begins to do a deeper work in your faith. 
Some of you are nodding your heads because you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. Some of you are in your journey of faith with that and struggling through that, that because of the circumstances of life, things don't always just fall into place the way we would like them to. But we need to believe that even in the midst of that, God is still working. And he's working all things together for his good. And then we see in this story that honesty forges faith. We see this woman, as we said, sandwiched in the middle. And <clears throat> as Jairus is on the way in urgency, come Jesus, come to my daughter. And they're pushing through the crowd. My daughter's at death's door. Jesus, you need to come. You need to. This woman interrupts everything. What is she doing? Doesn't she know the urgency of my daughter's problem and her issue? And so this woman comes in the middle of it, and she's interrupting because she's touching the hem of Jesus' robe, of his garment. And when she touched it, something happened. A miracle happened. It says that she was healed and she knew it. But see, the irony of this story is dozens of people touched Jesus that day He was moving towards in this crowd. The actual word here in the passage says crushed. So Jesus is being crushed by these crowds as they're trying. It's only a small town, but they're trying to get to Jairus' house. Everybody was around him. But the truth of it is, only one touched him with faith and was healed. Do you know what that says to me? It says to me, proximity is not enough. What that says to me, proximity to Jesus is not enough. Just being around Jesus, close to Jesus, is not enough. Just being around the things of Jesus, just sitting in a pew in church, just doing the Christian things is not enough. It's not about proximity. It's not just about being close to the things of God. It's about having faith that is willing to reach out and touch Jesus, and allow Jesus' power to touch us. What unlocked his power with this woman? It was her personal need for Jesus and empty hands of faith. What did she know that gave her such assurance? Some people believe that she was believing in Malachi 4.2 that has this promise, the prophet promise. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. The actual word that's used there is actually also in other places in the Old Testament in Numbers. And the word is actually translated in other places, hem and border, his wings. And so in faith, she's believing that he is the Messiah and he is the one who was to come. And if I grovel through the dirt and get down low enough, I can't touch him, but I'll just touch the hem of his garment and I will be healed. Now here's the point. A lot of people were in the crowd that day. A lot of people were in the crowd following Jesus to see the next miracle he was going to do. They wanted to be witnesses to that. They wanted to watch that. They wanted the excitement. They wanted the sensationalism. Oh, my friends, the church, if we're not careful, we can be like the crowd. This woman came to Jesus for her. She came to Jesus not to see him witness what he was going to do for someone else. She came to receive what she wanted him to do for her. 
That's a big lesson. See, the difference is just seeing Jesus as Jesus or seeing Jesus as Savior, as healer, as Lord of my life. Until you understand your personal need for Jesus, his power is not there. It is a place where we need to come to a place where we know that we need Jesus. I don't need anything else. What I need is Jesus. Just give me Jesus. There is a place where our faith is forged in a refiner's fire when things are stripped away and we come to a place and it is I need Jesus. Unfortunately, in the church, we've spent a lot of time listening to an altar call. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt some. I'm going to step on some toes. We'll, we'll listen to an altar call and say, that was a great altar call, pastor, for so-and-so. <laughs> that was just for them today. I was praying for them that they would go. <laughs> God help us. I don't care how much of Jesus I've got, I still need him. I don't care what he did for me last Sunday or a year ago or 10 years ago. I need Jesus today, and I want more of him. And I'm glad that he's touching your life and he's working in your life, but I need him too. That's where the power of God begins to be unleashed in the community of faith. When we all come in today saying, I need Jesus. You see, it's as if Jesus is saying, if you have all you need, if everything's fine with your life and you're great, that's great. He'll leave us there. But Jesus would say to you today, if you need me, come to me. Actually, that's in the book of Revelation. He tells us to come, to come to him. And so Jesus asks, who touched me? He says, who touched me? Now, the disciples are saying, what do you mean, Lord, who touched you? They're not getting it. Well, that's okay. They're the duh disciples. We realize that. Takes them a while to get things. But she was trembling and fearful. She touched him. He healed her. Wasn't that enough? I just came incognito, Jesus. Thank you very much. I'll just leave the same way. Nobody needs to know. No one needs. This will be our secret, Jesus. What happened here? I'm healed of my physical issue. That's all I needed. Thank you very much. But Jesus knows that's not all that she needs. There is a deeper healing she is needing. And it's more than just physical. And so Jesus says to her, who touched me? And so she's afraid because she broke the law. I kind of looked at this, and I thought that what she did would probably be enough for even possible stoning. She broke the law, and she came in amongst the crowd, and as she pushed through to be touched by Jesus' hem and him touching her power by his power, she's making everyone unclean, ceremonially unclean by, by her doing that. And, and the fact that she would even d- get close to want to touch Jesus, so how are they going to respond? What is the crowd going to do to her now? And more importantly, what is the holy teacher, the rabbi, going to say and do to me now that I have to stand before them all and I have to tell them I was audacious enough to touch his him? Despite her fears, she came to Jesus. And you know what's beautiful in this passage? 
she owned up to it. She owned up to everything she had done. She was brutally honest. See, Scripture says that she told all. Some versions says she told him everything. She told him the whole truth. She told him her struggles, her pain, her suffering, her feelings of shame. She told him about her despair, her attempts to find a cure, all the money that she spent, and she told him that she was the one who touched him, and she received that healing. She told all. See, that's how we know in the Gospel of Mark everything that Mark tells us about this woman. Because he's recording Peter, an eyewitness, and so Peter, the eyewitness, is sharing exactly what this woman now stood before Jesus and the crowd and begins to share and tell her whole life story. (laughs) Warts and all. It was her testimony of all that God had been doing in her life and for her. You know, Jesus is not here to give you or to give me what we think we need. Jesus is here to give us what he knows we need. She, she thought she was just going to get this physical healing, slip away, and nobody would know. Jesus knew she needed something greater than that. And so he asked a lot of her. He asked her to be brutally honest in front of everyone. Do I want to tell you something today? I've seen it, and it's not something we like to hear But God asks a lot of us. God asks us often to be brutally honest with him and sometimes even to other people around us. Now, be careful who you're brutally honest with. The Lord will direct. But sometimes he wants us to be brutally honest so that he can bring us to a place of deeper, deeper healing where faith is forged in the fire. And we've come to him wanting this simple little touch, but yet he knows down deep in our soul, in our psyche, there are deeper issues that we need healing for. And so that deeper healing sometimes cannot happen in us until we're willing to be vulnerable, honest, and totally bare, open with God. But look what Jesus says to her, though she comes to him with fear and trembling, and even in front of all of this crowd who have shunned her and thought she was a sinner. In verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That's not what she expected. And you know, the amazing thing is when God works in our lives and we feel his assurance and his well-being and his shalom and his peace over us, we don't deserve it. We heard the song at the beginning about God's mercy. I should be six feet under. I told you I tried to commit suicide twice. I should be six feet under. And I'm here today because of God's grace and mercy. That's the only reason why I'm here. Some of you guys can tell the stories of miracles and miracles that have happened up here in West Prince, that there is no explanation for it, and people are around or you're around today because of God's mercy. And so it's amazing here to see how honesty before God, telling him our whole story, can forge our faith. And to bring this to a close, this last point, 
faith, when we don't have it, when we don't understand it, when we are going through the roughest times in our lives, faith is a gift from God. God can lead us through all kinds of circumstances that can summon faith. Yes, he can lead us to a place of brutal honesty that can forge a stronger faith. Yes, but God can give us a gift of faith to believe the impossible when we don't believe. I'm sure Jairus was frustrated at this point, frustrated because Jesus was taking too long, too much time, (laughs) wasting with other people. Doesn't he know that my daughter's over there and she's dying? And then the worst of the worst happens, verse 35, your daughter is dead. Well, wonderful friends, isn't that? (sighs) Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Basically, it's a statement, you're too late. It's too late. Has God ever worked on your timetable? Anybody? God doesn't work on our timetable. God's clock is not like our clock. We're impatient. We want it yesterday. God says to us often, what? Wait. Wait. And so in the midst of that, he gives us his presence as we're told to wait. So at this point, Jairus is now at rock bottom. His daughter is dead. Jesus has failed him, it would see, but we know he hasn't because we know the story. And verse 36, Jesus tells him in the midst of that, don't be afraid, just believe. Thank you. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you just picture this? They've just told you it's too late. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus comes to him and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Sometimes it's like the pastor who shows up after we've lost a loved one and they start reading God's word to us. Yes, it's great, but at the time, we don't always want to hear it. And I'm sure for Jairus, it was difficult words to hear Jesus say that. Believe what? What are you wanting me to do? The worst has just happened to me. But the amazing thing is when God surprises us and even frustrates us with his timeline, we break through to new realities of faith. It is when our faith grows stronger and deeper. And so we trust him for that miracle. But you know what I want to tell you today? We need to trust him also for the long haul. I've said it often, I love that statement by Eugene Peterson, that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. It is easy to trust God to touch me today for a miracle. It's another thing to believe that God's faith is enough for me to get me through the long haul. Remember the measuring tape we used a few weeks back? That God will see me through thick and thin and every situation that I'm going to face in life. He can even give me the gift of faith when it seems so small. And so the beauty here is Jesus takes Jairus' daughter by the hand, and he says one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, and it's left in Aramaic, so when you hear it, something would bubble up in your spirit. Peter remembers it so much that he tells Mark, and he says to him, now the rest of this is written in Greek, but this you keep in Aramaic, because it's the actual words of Jesus. Talitha kum beautiful. Can you hear Jesus and his love and his compassion speaking to this child of 12, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, rise up. We could add, if it was a boy, little boy, I say to you, rise up. 
get up, and she gets up. See, Jairus is looking for a quick fix. He wanted, Jesus could have even just spoke the word and the girl could have been healed. But Jesus is wanting to bring faith to Jairus' house. He's wanting all of them to see this amazing miracle. So God didn't work in the way that Jairus wanted. God worked in his way to his timetable so Jairus and the whole family could experience a miracle of faith. They would never be the same again. And so he says to all of us in whatever circumstances we find in life, he'll say to us, don't be afraid, just believe. So the truth today, <clears throat> we got two for one. We got two stories for one about faith and our biblical faith, and I ask you that question again today. God would take things from the message today that will speak to you, not for someone on the other side of the pews, but God is wanting to speak to you today as he's also speaking to me. Two different stories wrapped up into one. She comes and she's touched, she's healed, she reserves, receives assurance, and she goes home in peace. He comes, he begs to get Jesus to come, is delayed, his daughter dies, and Jesus turns to him and says those difficult words, don't be afraid, just believe. So faith not only comes, faith stays with us in the difficult times of life when we don't understand. When it seems like everything is lost, but the truth of it is, nothing is lost with Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Remember I said to you today, biblical truth and biblical faith is that we trust God. We trust Jesus. More importantly, that trust is not just here today and gone tomorrow and forgotten about for the next three months, but we trust God our whole lives. That's what faith is. That's what we're hearing here is faith. As I was thinking about a closing example for this sermon today, I was reminded of some of my experiences in ministry. I told you about Pastor Mike's story, and he's probably saying, that's my story to tell. That's usually what he says to me after that was my story to tell, but I told it. It's our story, dear. Our, our. <laughs> um, I've had the opportunity over the years to go in and do some ladies' retreats. I've done them here on this many, many years ago, back in the 90s, I think it was, on this district. But I remember one in particular that I did for the Salvation Army up in uh, their retreat center up in North uh, Ontario. And, you know, they're, they love, they're a blast. Like, most of them were a bunch of New Flanders. And so they did all kinds of crazy things. Saturday night was always about doing crazy stuff. I mean, I still can remember some of the skits they put on. And, and the fun and the things they would put in each other's beds. I mean, pretty bad. Some of you guys know what ladies' retreat is like. The men have no idea what women do at ladies' retreat. You don't want to know. So in the midst of all that, though, there was a lot of prayer, and we had been asking that God would move very powerfully, and we had talked about, you know, people came with their, well, pray for my children, and, you know, pray for this and pray for that, but God did something that Sunday morning that I will never forget, and in that Sunday morning, God had me 
tell people to write down those things that were causing them shame, those things that were holding them back in their faith journey, those things that, that I told them to be brutally honest. Now, that's kind of hard to do in the middle of something, so what the Lord gave me through His Holy Spirit in that moment was they were to write it down. Nobody else needed to see it. It was between them and the Lord. And so we came to the end of the service, and they're writing on this piece of paper, all, and, and they were writing. They were being quite honest. And then I said to them, I want you now to hand it to the woman next to you. Now, it was all folded up, and I want you to hand it to the woman next to you, and I want you to tear, they're going to tear it up. And they're going to say to you, woman, you are free. You are forgiven, you are free, you are released. And I just, this, the Lord told me to do that in the morning, and I was being obedient, and I did what God told me to do. And I always think, Lord, you can't be asking me to do that. And it's like, yeah, I want you to do that, so I do it. Well, all of a sudden, the room changed. There was something that happened in that group of 50, 60 women that I've never experienced anything like it before or after. That all of a sudden, as they were being brutally honest and doing some soul-searching and, and, being, and being willing to say to the person next to me, would you take my garbage and my mess and destroy it in the name of Jesus and release me from it, that women were being gloriously released, so much so that you could hear the howling down the hall that women were being released like I had never heard before. I didn't realize at the time that someone that was close to me that was a family member that was in ministry, her list was quite long, and I didn't know it at the time, but then she began, she was supposed to be leading retreat with me and ministering to people, and then she is on all fours on the floor as God is releasing her from this pain and brokenness from all the years of ministry. God was doing something amazing that I believe I just read about here. And I honestly believe, I believe that God is wanting to do it again today and again and again and again. We come to him with our little issues. Oh Lord, my feet hurt. Would you touch them? <laughs> He's wanting to deal with the deep, deep Issues in our souls that go so deep that bubble up in all kinds of different ways that they shouldn't. He's wanting to totally set us free. I believe that today. So that we can go forth with no shame, no regrets. That's the kind of work that he's wanting to do that we heard about Jairus and his family and we heard about this woman. I, I have to tell you that what happened on that last Sunday morning service the women went home, and they asked me if I would stay that Sunday night and do an unexpected Sunday night service. They always had Sunday night service, but I wasn't supposed to stay to speak at it. I didn't even know what I was supposed to say. I hadn't thought about that. And so I decided to stay. The church filled with over 400 people that night. Husbands who had not been in church for years came. You know why? Because when the wives got home from retreat, they were changed. <laughs> they were changed, and they could see the difference in them that the husbands decided to come to church that night to find out what was going on. I can't take the time today to tell you what God did in that Sunday evening service, but we were there till 11 
p.m. And it started at 6. It doesn't happen that every Sunday. That's not how things happen all the time. But I know that God reminded me this week that when I was preparing this message, I had totally forgotten about it, that God had reminded me of how his business is the business of setting us totally and fully free. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's there from your teens. I don't know what's there from what life has thrown you a curveball, and it's been unfair, and it's not been right. But I want to say to you today, whatever you have gone through, whatever you are going through, what you need today is Jesus. And what you need is for him to decide the kind of healing that you need. <laughs> you got to let him do his work. And you've got to be vulnerable. And one of the most vulnerable things to do in a church is to walk up an aisle and say, I need Jesus. But I want to tell you today, you're amongst those who love you. And you're amongst friends. And you're a part of the family of God. And so as we sing this closing song, if you need Jesus today, if you're needing a deeper healing, if you're needing a touch, I just invite you to come and stand. Make sure you're socially distanced. But come and stand across the front of the church. And we will close this service with a prayer, believing that he is the same God that is able to do above anything we could think or imagine. Let's sing together now, Waymaker. God bless you. Stand to your feet.